exit. Rest of you turn to 1 John chapter 4. You're going to need your notes today because we're covering a lot of material. Um, talking about the topic of fear. Now, whenever you preach through the book of the Bible, which we're doing right now, last week, you know, I covered about 10 verses. It was a pretty big chunk of Scripture. And today's another one of those, like when I got to 1 John 4, 4, and we all memorized that verse, greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. Similar today, we're just focusing not only on really less than a verse, we're just focusing on one phrase. That's how powerful God's Word is. One phrase is enough for a whole sermon today. So I'm going to read verse 18, but within verse 18 is one phrase that we're going to really camp on. 1 John 4, 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So there's that one phrase, repeat after me, perfect love, cast out fear. One more time, perfect love, cast out fear. So many people's lives are immobilized by fear. Time Magazine in 2001 did an article, What Scares You? And it talked about that there are over 500 different phobias that they have identified. Claustrophobia, agoraphobia, and on and on it goes. And praise God today that in a culture that is gripped by fear, and it started especially with the pandemic, people just gripped and immobilized by fear. But in recent days with the shootings, is any place safe? People might be fearful of just going to the grocery store, much less a concert or dropping their kids off at a school. Fear is a big struggle for many, and perhaps it is for you today. And I'm so glad, aren't you, that the Bible addresses such practical issues that we all struggle with as fear. And the Bible doesn't condemn or shame anybody for having a fear. Rather, the Bible gives a solution for what to do when you have a fear. There are 365 verses in the Bible about fear. You, may, you maybe wonder why, because there's 365 days of the year. And in Psalm 56.3, David said, when I am afraid, not if, when I am afraid, I will trust in you, in God whose word I praise. The Bible has many things to say about fear. It was the first emotion after the first sin. Adam and Eve hid from God because of fear. In 1 Kings 19, Elijah, even after experiencing the power of God at Mount Carmel, turns right around and he's afraid of Jezebel. David in the book of Psalms, often Saul is chasing after him and he's got enemies on the left and the right and the Psalms talks a lot about fear because David experienced fear, but he overcame it. Jesus' most used phrase is, fear not, for I am with you. He appears to the disciples and walking on water and they're afraid because they think he's a ghost. Fear not, fear not, it's me, it's me. Now listen. Some fear can be demonic. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. It doesn't mean all fear is demonic, but it means it can be demonic, and it can be one of the ways in which Satan attacks you. To immobilize you, to hold you back, and to keep you from experiencing God's best for your life. To keep you from God's destiny in your life. And so here in John, the Apostle John, who called himself the Beloved, he knew the love of God, and so he gives us the solution. The solution for fear is the perfect love of God. 
Repeat after me. Perfect love. Cast out. Fear. And so what I want to begin with today, we're going to just look in three sections. We're going to look at this perfect love. What is it? What does it look like? And then we're going to look at what does it mean to cast it out? And then what, is this, what are some of the common fears that people struggle with today? And I believe that God could use His Word today by the power of the Holy Spirit to bring freedom in your life, to bring you to new levels of stepping out in faith and being used by God. Because one of the reasons that people don't serve is there a, there's a fear of, of failure or a fear that I'm not as good as somebody else. We saw that after first service, didn't we, Jonathan? There were about five people that came up after the service saying, I want to help on the worship team. And I've identified today that one of the reasons I've been I've been squandering my gift is because I have a fear that I'll be a failure, a fear that I won't play the perfect note. Listen, God wants to set you free today. God wants to set you free. He doesn't want you living in that fear and being immobilized and held back from experiencing His best. And so we begin today by looking at 10 characteristics of the perfect love of God. And the first is that perfect love is God's love because only God is perfect. Now listen, a human can give love and a human can give help in fear. Those of you that are parents, your child is, is, a, is fearful maybe of the dark. And so you go to their room and you give comfort and you give your presence. That can help. And so we're not discounting how, how humans can help, but only God is perfect and only God has the perfect love. Number two, God's love and this perfect love we're going to dissect today is unconditional. It's not dependent on your performance or your behavior. Aren't you glad for that? It doesn't go up when you do well, and it doesn't go down when you do bad. <laughs> it's unconditional. He loves you because he loves you because he's love, and it has nothing to do with your performance. If we could get that in our getter and realize it's not about me, it's about him. See, what, what, the reason we miss the love of God is we focus on ourselves. We're always evaluating ourselves. How am I doing? Am I good? Am I bad? Oh, he must not love me because I failed. He must love me more because I did good. And, and so we get on this, we're, 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 we've got our eyes on the wrong person. It's unconditional because it's his love. And it's not about you, it's about him. It is about you because he loves you, but it comes from him and his love is unconditional. Second, it's inseparable. In Romans 8, Paul says nothing can separate us from the love of God. And then it's interesting what he lists. He lists a bunch of things that are negative. Peril, sword, nakedness, persecution, famine. Listen, if you're in a famine, wouldn't you normally think, well, God must not love me. He's not bringing rain on my crops. Peril, sword, bad things are happening. God must not love me. The reason he says those things in Romans 8 is because the very things he says in Romans 8 that do not separate you from his love are the very things that will cause your flesh to doubt God's love. And so it's in those situations you either go with fear and, or faith. You either focus on your circumstances or you stand on God's word. Because here's what will happen and here's where the battle lies. Those bad things will happen. Those negative things will happen. Those challenging things will happen. And your flesh, your flesh will say, God must not love me because those things are happening. Satan will whisper in your ear, God doesn't love you because those bad things are happening. You have a choice there. Am I going to stand on the circumstance or am I going to shift my attention to God's word and what is true? God, I know this is happening. I'm struggling. And you pour out your heart. You get honest. That's good. But I'm going to trust you, God. When I am afraid, I will trust in you, in God whose word I praise. Psalm 56.3. 
Number four, his love is experiential. It's not just a pie in the sky by and by. It's an experiential love. It's a love to be experienced by you. The Bible says in Psalm 34 and 8, taste and see that the Lord is good. The table is set. The food is there, but you have to eat. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Get out your spiritual fork and spoon and start feasting on his love. And we'll talk about how to do that today. Six or fifth, it's sacrificial. God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Jesus demonstrated the love of God by dying a cruel death, flogged, persecuted, beaten, crucified, shed his blood for you to show you and me how much he loves us. Number six, lest you think that the love of God is some greasy grace that is devoid of truth and has no standards, no. The love of God is also correctional. And this is important. He disciplines those whom he loves. And so God loves you enough to not let you stay out of his will very long. We drift. We sin. We make choices that move us out of his perfect will every day, or not, maybe not every day, but frequently. And so God loves you enough to not let you stay out of his will. Any parent that loves their kids, they do something disobedient and wrong, what is that parent going to do? Out of love, bring correction. And so the perfect love of God brings correction in our lives when we need it. Aren't you glad for that? Aren't you glad that he doesn't just let you drift and do nothing about it? And if you'll be open, if you'll have a spiritual ear and heart to be open to that correction, he will correct you and he wants you to know it is because he loves you that much. Now, number seven, number eight, and number nine are all these omni words. It's important. Because perfect love is God's love, and because God is perfect, And because God is love, therefore perfect love always matches the attributes of God. God is omniscient. He knows all. He knows your past. He knows your future. He knows everything that happened in the past. He knows everything that will happen in the future in terms of world events. He is omniscient. Psalm 139 says, there's not even a word on your mouth that's spoken. He doesn't already know it. You say, I don't understand that. Neither do I. We can't fully understand that because we're not God. But we take it by faith. He knows all. He's omniscient. Therefore, his love, perfect love, is omniscient. And this is where it really hits home. He knows everything about you, and he still loves you the same. He's fully knowledgeable about everything you have done, everything you will do, good and bad. That thing that the enemy uses to keep you in shame and condemnation, God knows it. And guess what? It was paid for at the cross. He still loves you the same. Isn't that awesome? This is the perfect love that can set you free today. It's omnipresent. Where can I go from your presence? Psalm 139. Where can I hide from your presence? Lord, if I ascend here, you're there. If I go there, you're there. If I go there, you're there. <laughs> so his, God is omnipresent. Therefore, his perfect love is omnipresent. His perfect love goes with you wherever you are. 
His love follows you. Oh, Psalm 23, verse 6. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. <laughs> love that song that we sing here about God chasing down, chasing us with his love. So as you and I go through life, as you and I go through our future, as you and I go through our decision, guess what? His goodness and loving kindness follow you all the days of your life. <laughs> He's following after you. He's chasing you down. He wants you to taste and see that he is good every single day, wherever you go, whatever decision you make. His loving kindness is following you all the days of your life because he is omnipresent. Then he's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. Because God is all-powerful. Perfect love is God's love, therefore perfect love is omnipotent. If A equals B and B equals C, then A equals C. So this perfect love, because it's God's love, meets every attribute of God. God is powerful, therefore perfect love is all-powerful. Meaning, it's more powerful than any challenge you face, any sin you commit, any enemy you face, and today, any fear you face. God's love, God's character, God's presence on this Pentecost Sunday is more powerful than any fear that you could ever face in your life. Now, let's move to the tenth one. It is eternal. Jeremiah 31 and 3, I have loved you with an everlasting love. His love doesn't run out. His love is not like your gas tank that gets on quarter filled and then it says eight miles and you're empty. God's love doesn't do that. God's love is eternal. It never runs out. His tank of love is always full for you. Now, let's come to this phrase, cast out. So let's repeat after me. Perfect love, cast out, fear. It's an interesting word in the Greek. It's balo. And in the Greek, again, there's many ways of writing verbs that are a lot more explicit than English way of writing things. It's in the present active indicative, meaning that it's not a once and for all cast out. It's a continual cast out. Why? Because we will continually have fears that are going to come and try to get us. Now, if somebody tried to bring me this jacket today and asked me to wear it, I don't think I'm going to do that. It's not attractive. It's torn up. And so what I'm going to do when somebody tries to bring this sport coat to me is I'm going to cast it out. And the word literally means to throw off with no consideration for where it goes. It's an interesting Greek word. That's literally the definition. To throw something off not caring where it goes. Why? Because you don't want it back. And so you try to bring this to me, I'm going to cast it out. And the perfect love of God has the ability on a moment-by-moment, day-by-day basis, present active indicative, to cast out those fears. Again, there's no shame and condemnation for having fears. But it's what will we do when we have the fear, and the Bible says perfect love can cast it out. So let's examine how this works on a practical level. We're going to look at eight fears today. Now, this is not an exhaustive list because the last one has a blank for you to fill in. Because there's, a, like I said earlier, there's 500 that they've identified, probably more. But here's what I have seen as being some of the most common fears. First of all is the fear of punishment. Now, what you're going to see us do at each of these, and this is powerful, with every fear 
comes a lie from the enemy. And if you're going to get victory over fear, you first identify and face your fear. By the way, that's why ministries like Celebrate Recovery that we do here every Friday night is so important. Because they really delve into this every week. You face your fear, you identify the lie connected with the fear, and then what do you do? You replace the lie with truth. 2 Corinthians 10 says, we take every thought captive and make it obey Christ. John 8 and 32 says, the truth will set you free. And here's another thing, is often, not to play counselor, but this is important, it came up in the first service in the Q&A time. Often, if a person has had some kind of trauma in their past, with that trauma comes a lie that attaches itself to the trauma. You identify the trauma, you identify the lie attached to the trauma, and then you replace it like a spiritual bulldog with the truth of God's Word. And you confess that truth, you proclaim that truth, there's power, listen, in speaking the truth of God's Word. So a woman who's been raped, she may feel like she deserved it. That's a lie. She may feel like she somehow contributed to it. That's a lie. And so she needs to go back, identify the trauma, let the Holy Spirit reveal the lie, and begin to replace those lies with truth. And when you do that, God sets you free. And you can eventually get to the point, it's not like a one-time-for-everything kind of deal. Sometimes it's repeated. But eventually, you can get to the place where that fear no longer comes at you. Because it knows when it does, you're going to cast it out. It has no way to attach itself to you anymore. Because you have stood on truth and stood on truth and stood on truth. We had somebody in the first service said, for some of my fears, I had to put verses all over my house. I put scripture after scripture after scripture on my mirror and on my bedroom and in my closet and everywhere I went. And I just proclaimed those truths until victory came, and it did. You can have that as well. So the first fear is punishment. The lie here is that I must blame and punish those that fail, especially if it's me. (laughs) See, we think we need to punish ourselves and condemn ourselves and hold ourselves hostage to our past or our present mistakes. And sometimes it has a religious spirit attached, a works or performance approach to life. But the truth of God's perfect love is, perfect love took the punishment. Jesus Christ took the punishment on the cross. He shed His blood. He was flogged, beaten, crucified, and rose from the dead for every sin we could ever commit. And listen, if you think you need to punish yourself for your sins, you're saying Jesus' punishment was not enough. If you think you need to punish yourself for your sins... You're saying Christ's punishment was not enough. Second fear is the fear of failure. I know this one because I struggled with it for years. Because I got on the performance treadmill. And the lie here is that I must meet certain expectations in order to feel good about myself. If you're raised in a family or a structure where you had to perform in order to feel accepted, this can especially be one that grips you. This often leads to perfectionism because your worth is dependent on your performance. So many are paralyzed from taking risk or stepping out in faith because they fear failure. Well, what if I do fail? Well, guess what? We will. (laughs) So perfect love says this. Perfect love forgives all sin. And when you understand the power of the gospel and the power of forgiveness and the power of your righteousness in Christ, you can boldly step out knowing that you will fail, but guess what? It doesn't matter to God because He forgives it if you bring it to the cross. So you can risk. You can serve. 
You can say, I'm going to serve, I will fail, I will play a note that's wrong, I'll blow it up here, but at least I'm stepping out in faith and serving the living God. I mean, I love that, that, the, the story of Peter in the, in the boat. You know, he stepped out in faith, walked on water, didn't last long, fell in. I can just imagine those other disciples saying, ah, what an idiot, what an idiot you are. You fell in, you fell in, ah. And you know what? I can just imagine Peter going back to the boat and saying, at least I got out of the boat. I'd rather walk on water two steps than be a boat hugger. Are you a water walker or a boat hugger? Water walkers step out in faith and are willing to fail because they know that when they do, what does Jesus do? He picked him right back up. The loving hands of Jesus picked Peter up. And I bet he said, I'm so proud of you, Peter. I'm so proud of you for stepping out. And you're going to learn from this, and you're going to step out even more. And you're going to do even greater things for me. Fear of rejection. Satan's lie is that I must be accepted by others to feel good about myself. Now, many who've experienced rejection in their past, again, that they're particularly susceptible to this fear. That's why divorce is such a painful thing. Because there's a deep sense of being rejected by that spouse. Or by the parent who abandons the family. Leaves those children feeling so rejected. Grieves the heart of God. Many become people pleasers due to this fear. They, they have to, they, they're a chameleon. They, they're one thing for one group and another thing for another group. When they get to church, they're all religious. And then when they're downtown on Friday nights, they're fully participating in drunkenness and sexual immorality. They can't take a stand, you see, because they, they have to be accepted by other people. They fear rejection. They fear rejection from their church friends. They fear rejection from their worldly friends. It's a terrible place to be, straddling the fence. But the perfect love of God says when you come to Christ and you're saved and you're his son and daughter, he accepts you. Perfect love accepts you. He accepts you and he says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. He will never abandon you. So there's safety in that. And with that, then comes the ability again to take risks because Jesus said, if you fully follow me, you're going to be rejected. I mean, he made that clear. He didn't beat around the bush. He said, look, if you're going to be a fully, fully devoted follower of me, the world's going to hate you, Satan's going to be after you, and people are going to reject you. But what did he say? Speaking truth, Luke 10 and 17. If they reject you, they're really rejecting me. Ooh, See? So you, you get to the place in your walk with Jesus, you don't take it personal. Yeah, they're rejecting me, but ultimately they're rejecting him because I'm standing for truth. And not in some self-righteous, prideful way. But when you stand in truth and you have a clear conscience and you know you're doing what is right, then you're willing the chips will fall where they may. I'm willing to suffer the consequences of obedience to God. Because my goal is to please him. You know, one of the things I didn't say earlier, there are some healthy fears one of them is the fear of God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so this plays in here because if I fear God more than man, I'm more interested in pleasing God than man, so I don't have to please everybody. 
I'm set free from having to please everybody because my, my ultimate goal, my ultimate focus is Him, pleasing Him. If I've got God's approval, it doesn't matter who else approves of me. Perfect love, cast out fear. Let's say it together. Perfect love, cast out fear. Number four is the fear of harm. This one is very rampant today, especially with all the mass shootings. I mean, goodness, you're afraid of yourself being harmed. Any parents afraid of their children being harmed. They can't even have peace in dropping their kids off at a school. Satan's lie here is that I must live in fear because of what might happen. Did you catch that? Here's the lie. I must walk in fear. I must walk in stress. I must walk in worry because of what might happen. Now, I, I have an amazing, she's gone to be with the Lord, but an amazing grandmother, my, my dad's mother, Grandmother Lucille. She had a great statement she would make to us. Honey, I've worried about many things in life most of which never occurred. Did you get that? In other words, she wasted all this emotional energy worrying about things that never happened. And so my wife has picked that up, and it's been helpful for us. She's like, she has to make that choice. Why worry about something that may not happen? Well, I'm probably going to fail that test. It may not happen. Well, I might get COVID. It may not happen. <laughs> and so all these mays, you have to take those thoughts captive Put them under the truth of God's word. So the perfect love of God here says that he's good through all. Okay, now I, I crafted this sentence very carefully. Do, did I say perfect love of God will keep you from all harm? No, that wouldn't be biblical. I wish I could say that today. I wish I could say, you get saved, guess what? Nothing bad ever happens to you in the rest of your life. Wouldn't that be awesome? That's not biblical. 2 Corinthians 11 Paul lists all these bad things that happened to him. Stoned, beaten, shipwrecked, harm at the city, harm in the country, harm at sea, harm everywhere. Matter of fact, I did an interesting study this week. I encourage you to do this. I took the list in 2 Corinthians 11 where Paul lists all these negative things that happened to him. And then I took the list in Romans 8, 31 to 39 about what cannot separate us from his love. Interesting, the parallels. So... Pray for protection. Yes. Bind the evil spirits. Yes. Pray the blood of Jesus over your house and your kids every single day. Yes. Absolutely do all that. In addition to that, if when bad things or negative things still do come into your life, then what? Then you claim Romans 8, 28. God works all things together for good. Then you claim Genesis 50, verse 20. What man meant for evil, God meant for good. And so what I'm saying here is his perfect love says he's good through it all. He's good when he protects you, and I believe in heaven he'll show us all the things he protected us from, but he's also good when bad things happen because he's still present in that, and he can take the negatives and turn them into positives. And that's the amazing thing about the perfect love of God, which goes back to omniscient and omnipresent and omnipotent. All the omnis fall in here when bad things happen, he can still work it in an amazing way if you trust him. Every fear is a test of our faith in the perfect love of God. Every fear is a test of your faith in the perfect love of God. 
Because when you go through fears, when you go through bad things, you can either go and cling more tightly to God, or you can resort to the flesh and not trust Him, and then the outcome is not good. Fear of being alone. This can include the fear that some have of never getting married or never being able to remarry or losing a best friend and just being alone. Now, this one's tough because God's made us for community. He said it's not good for man to be alone. So this one's particularly hard, and I got a, during the Q&A first service, I didn't get a chance to address it, but somebody said, you know, your answers were great there, but sometimes I just need Jesus with skin. <laughs> In other words, it's one thing to claim this next truth, which is true. Perfect love never forsakes. Perfect love is with you always. But where really rubber meets the road faith is because you want somebody physical with you, right? And God did make us for community. So this one's particularly hard. And this one, if, if, if you don't have close companionship with a human, yes, you confess God's constant presence. You believe when he says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. But I'll also say this, and I didn't say this in first service. This is why being in a church family is so important. Because he does want us to see Jesus with skin. Will the church fail you? Of course. Is the church perfect? No, but he is. And he created this thing, organism called the body of Christ. And so this is where being with others on Sunday and being with others in a small group and being with others in a home group is so important. Because God does want to show you his love through his people. Number six, the fear of sickness. Now, this is similar to the fear of harm because it's being harmed by sickness. But if, if you have sicknesses that run in your family, they're, they're genetic. This is a big one that you may struggle with, you know. Mother died of breast cancer. Grandmother died of breast cancer. Great-grandmother died of breast cancer. Man, this one's going to really try to come up and haunt you. Or there's been divorce after divorce after divorce, and you're fearful of getting married because it just seems like this is, a, and it may be an ancestral sin that needs to be bound, and it can be. But there's that fear of sickness. There's, there's that sense of, of worry about what might happen. Well, here, listen closely. Perfect love heals. Perfect love can heal. Do we believe that God still heals people of sickness? Do we believe that there's healing in the stripes of Jesus Christ? Do we believe that there's healing power even in communion? Yes, 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 yes. But does God always heal? No. If he always healed on earth, then we could go to the place where we never die. And that's not biblical. That was actually one of the original lies of Satan. So if we could be healed of everything, then you could live forever on earth. That's just not true. So I'm not contradicting myself. I'm just giving you biblical balance here. The way perfect love works here is he can heal. But if he doesn't, he will in the after. <laughs> so either way, he heals. Sometimes he heals here. Always he heals there. <laughs> either way, we win. Look, when, when COVID started, I, I don't know if you remember me saying this. When COVID started and we were shut down for a month or so, I said this. I go, guys, we don't need to live in fear. Am I taking this thing serious? Yes. But here's the bottom line. I get COVID. Okay? Let's say I get COVID. Then what? Well, I'm going to get prayer. And I'm going to believe God for healing. If he doesn't heal me, then what? I die. Then what? I go to heaven. Any way you slice this, it's good. <laughs> so why am I going to fear? I mean, Paul said to live as Christ to die is gain. So if I get it, I'm going to pray for healing. If I don't get healed, I go to heaven. Man, that's even better. So hallelujah. I mean, sometimes we need to, to say it like that. 
Play it out. Play out the worst case scenario. And then bring God into every piece of that. Because His perfect love travels with you everywhere. Seven, the fear of death. Now, let me say this, beloved. If you're not saved, if you've not repented of your sins and put your faith and trust in Christ alone for salvation, you ought to fear death. You ought to fear death so much that it gets you to Jesus and gets you saved. Because I love you enough to tell you that if you die without Christ, you will spend eternity separated from God in hell. I didn't write the book. God did. Sin is so serious that it deserves the wrath and judgment of Almighty God. And if you die under His wrath and judgment, that's where you spend eternity. You ought to fear death if you don't know Jesus. But if you know Jesus, perfect love does this. It gives you eternal life. It promises you eternal life in heaven with Him. You say, give me a verse. Okay, John 3, 16. But we're going to keep reading. Because too many people stop at John 3, 16. And it's a great verse. Don't get me wrong. But have you ever seen what follows John 3, 16? Check this out. Turn in your Bibles. John 3, 16. God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever, say whoever, believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever, say whoever, does not believe in him is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their deeds or works were evil. Fear of death. If you're in Christ, you shall not fear death because Christ was, died for you and rose again and promises you eternal life if you're in Christ. The final fear, I have a purposeful blank. Fear of blank. You fill it in. You fill it in. It may be snakes. It may be needles. <laughs> it may be enclosed spaces. Listen, I've struggled with claustrophobicness since I got an MRI. Never struggled till I got an MRI. And so I've had to battle with that. Still comes up occasionally. Maybe it's fear of not being able to provide for your family. Fear of paying the bills because of all that's going on today. Maybe you have PTSD because of some traumatic experience. But here's the bottom line. Perfect love cast out all fear. Say it with me. Perfect love cast out all fear. So where do you need to apply this today? Psalm 56.3, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you, in God whose word I praise. You see how it's linked to God's character and God's word, because we learn of his character through his word. And so the most practical thing you can do with your fears is identify the lie that is connected with that fear, get some truths from God's word that meet that lie, replace those lies with truth, 
proclaim God's word outwardly. Say to this mountain, be moved. I speak to that fear and give the truth of God's word. And if you don't have a truth, you call a trusted friend. You say, help me here, brother or sister. Help me with a verse. Give me some scriptures that apply to this. And I'm telling you, the power of the word of God to pull down these fears is so powerful. And God can set you free. But the first step, making sure you're in relationship with Christ. Making sure that you've repented of your sins, put your faith and trust in Christ alone. That's the first step. And being filled with the Holy Spirit on a day-by-day basis. Because it's only through His power and only through His Spirit that we can do this. Amen. All right, we got a couple minutes. We'll take a couple questions. And um, there's a mic here. Who can man the mic? All right. Somebody just texted in, just a statement to share. I always made excuses for not liking things, but eventually I realized I was just afraid to experience them. Yep, another one. One of the most powerful ways I battle fear is simply praising God. There you go, Jonathan. Out loud and enthusiastically. Power, praise, and worship to squelch those demonic spirits that sometimes try to come at us. Here's one. Anybody over here? Just raise your hand. I'm really nervous because I don't like being um, attention on me. But um, going back to a woman being raped or being molested or touched, what about the fear of unworthiness and getting over that? Because it's, that's easier said than done. It is. And I'm Not glad you said worthy. that. Yeah, because one of the things I want to say is that this battle is an ongoing battle. Okay? I don't want to present it any way today that it's like a... You do this once, it's all gone. Not at all. That's why, again, I think I saw in 56.3, when I am afraid, you will be. It could be daily initially, but I do believe it can decrease and decrease and decrease. And so, here's a good one. You have to be real to feel, and you have to feel to be healed. You have to be real to feel. You've got to be willing to, to sometimes go back to that trauma, feel it. But then, the key is having somebody guiding you through this so that you... Replace the lies with truth, then healing can come. So you got to be real to feel, and you got to feel to heal, to be healed. And it, and it will be a, it will be just like with forgiving somebody who's deeply hurt you. The seventy times seven, then it gets less, then it gets less, then it gets less, and eventually it's like I'm free from this. I don't need to forgive anymore. I've done it, and it really does work that way. It's like shedding the skin of an old snake. Um, so the, the depth of the trauma the, and the depth of the lie will often mean the length of, that it takes for healing sometimes. Now, I believe in instant healing, and sometimes people experience that, so I'm not diminishing that at all. But, but typically, the depth of the healing and the depth of the pain will mean the, the, the length, the, the, the time it takes to, to be healed and to just stay in it, stay in the battle. 
Don't give up. Keep persevering. Keep applying God's word. It works. God is true to his word or he's a liar and he's not a liar. Amen. And so you stand in the gap. You get a, you're like a spiritual bulldog. I'm going to go after this and, and until I get the victory that he told me I was in, that I was promised. He promises the victory. He doesn't promise something that he won't deliver. If you apply his word, man, it'll bring breakthrough. Good comment. Thank you for that. Um, hey, uh, how would you, uh, okay, so recently this last week someone pointed out all these things going on in the world and they're saying, you know, how can you prove God is real with all this stuff? And it just, I didn't know what to say to him. Um, and so for like people who don't believe, how would you comfort them oh, to great, try to like tell them about, you know, that doesn't mean God's not here and he's not answering your prayers. It's just, yep. What would you say to them? No, great question. It came up last week in the, in the sermon. I encourage people that weren't here to go back and listen to that because what we talked about last week was God is love. That was twice in the passage of last week. And so love demands that you give another person free will. So love by its very definition requires that the one loving give the recipient free will. Okay? Otherwise, it's abuse and control and manipulation. God did not make us puppets. He could have. He could have made us all puppets. We do exactly what he wants. That's called control. That's called abuse, really. And God's not an abusive God. So with him being a God of love, it required him to give man and woman a free will. And what do we do with that free will? We go our own way. We love the darkness rather than the light. Just saw that in John 3. And so here's what I would point out. I would point out to non-believers that this is the essence of love. God being consistent with that gives us a free will. We do these horrible things. We do these, this is sin. And then point out this, it grieves God's heart more than anyone else. It grieves God's heart that these things are happening. Racism grieves the heart of God. Mass shootings grieve the heart of God. Rape grieves the heart of God. Abuse grieves the heart of God. And then you bring the gospel in. So what could be the solution to this terrible pain and trouble we're in? It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because there he offers forgiveness. There he offers healing. There he offers tangible love. And there he offers the power of his spirit to change. So that you now use your free will to love and obey him. Because his Holy Spirit lives inside of you. Father, we thank you for your word today. And I pray that you would use it with every person here and watching online to apply it in the way they need to, to bring freedom. God, we thank you for your amazing love and your amazing promises. In Jesus' name, amen. If John